In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever to the ages of all ages, amen. Typically, I read all kinds of different books, uh, all at the same time, because uh, I read something, I get a little bored of that, so I read something else. And I was reading a book recently, um, uh, and it's this, uh, it's this missionary story um, about how uh, he was asked to go and take over uh, a church. <laughs> it looks like uh, Sunday school is uh, very fun and exciting. Um, so he was asked to go take over this church in, um, in, in downtown Manhattan, like downtown New York City. And when he got there, the place was falling apart, literally. Um, he was in the middle of preaching to the 10 or 15 people who were there and literally somebody was sitting on a pew and it broke and it fell apart. And um, it became very obvious to him, very clear to him that nothing that, that nothing that he could do or any human being could do, no matter how charismatic or would be able to kind of turn this church around. So he went back to the person who had commissioned him to go there and, and, and asked him, do you really want me in this place? Because I really think this is like a sinking ship. Like, do you want me to just kind of like give it a jo slow, gentle death? You know, uh, or, what do you, what, or what do you want? And they prayed together and then they decided to just give it one final, you know, one final, your best effort, your best chance. And at that point, he just broke down and started praying and said, Lord, this isn't something that any human being could do. And that's where he had this deep realization that actually everything that happens in the church, everything that happens is, is something that God himself has to do. And so he started a prayer meeting and there's only a few people and little by little that prayer meeting grew uh, a visiting uh, preacher was visiting his church and commented and this is the this is this is what i want to leave you with from that story he said he said to him you can tell how popular a church is by its sunday morning attendance you can tell how popular a preacher is by one of his evening service attendances. But you can only tell how popular Jesus is by the attendance of a prayer meeting. You see, in a prayer meeting, there's no fanfare, there's no, there's nothing, you know, there's no lights and music, there's nothing sexy, you know, there's nothing, there's, you'd have no reason to be there unless other than that you want to be there with Christ. I wanted to do this illustration with you, but I didn't have a chance, so I was going to put the picture on a slide, but as I was starting to prepare slides, I felt like God was telling me, forget the slides, just speak to people. Just, I'll speak with you from my heart. You ever been uh, kind of thirsty and hot and 
you go to the fridge and I know a lot of you are healthy and you don't drink pop but back in the days when you did all right and you remember that there was a, a there was I remember there was a bottle of coke in the in the fridge door right and so you go and you open the the fridge door and lo and behold it's there your little brother didn't finish it and and you're so excited and you pour yourself a nice cold cup of coke and you drink and you drink deep and you realize it's flat Anybody had that experience? I've had that experience so many times. So when I, when I moved out, I decided I was only buying cans. That's it. I'm not buying two liter bottles anymore because I don't want them to be flat. You know what a church that is not full of the Holy Spirit, a Christian who is full, not full of the Holy Spirit is? Kind of like that Coke, which is flat. The most convicting thing I've ever heard or read about preaching is this. If preaching is not full of the Holy Spirit, so full of the Holy Spirit, that it consistently causes life change in the listener's ears, then the listeners will naturally become disillusioned and will believe... they. People are good. They're not going to believe that the preacher is bad or that the word is, is wrong. They'll believe that it just doesn't work for them. Maybe it works for others, but it just doesn't work for me. Folks, it is, it is like it's not optional for us to be full of God's Spirit. And I've just been convicted over and over and over throughout the last couple of weeks that God is calling you and is calling me to be full of His Spirit. He's calling you and He's calling me to be full of fizz, to be full of life. What distinguishes like alcohol from non-alcoholic beverages is the alcohol that's in it, the percentage of alcohol that's in it, right? And I've given this example innumerable times, so forgive the repetition. But in the liturgy, when, when the deacons offer the bread and they offer the wine, the priest sniffs it. And he's sniffing to see if it smells kind of like vinegar or does it smell kind of like wine. And then he gives it to the deacons to smell because he wants to be sure. Why? Because vinegar doesn't taste so good? Maybe. But that's not why. Why? Because the, the fermentation process that causes the alcohol to transform into vinegar causes it to lose its alcohol. And alcohol is spirit. And it's supposed to be full of spirit. And if it's not full of spirit, it's not worthy to be offered to God. How much more true of the Christian? How much more true of you and of me? Okay, Father John, you've sold me on this full of the Spirit thing. I want us to turn to Galatians 5, if you have it on your phone or something, that's great. Or, or we'll pull it up here on the screen. You can try to make the font as big as it'll go so people can see. St. Paul says here, I say then, uh, verse 16, I'm so sorry, Galatians 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the lusts for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish what's he talking about here i'm going to share with you what he's talking about 
When he says walk in the spirit, other translations say keep in step with the spirit. This word walk here doesn't mean like walk to the grocery store. It means it, it, it's really, it's a, it's a kind of a unique word in the Greek, which really means to walk with somebody. But it doesn't just mean to walk with somebody. It means to keep in step with somebody. Or have you ever watched like the army while they're marching? Everybody's left foot goes down at the same time. And then everybody's right foot goes down at the same time. Right? And they're, they're kind of like perfectly synchronized. So that's kind of what it means to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Or another example, but it's not as good, that I've heard people use to try to explain this, is sort of like uh, when I took my daughter's snowshoeing the very first time, right? My legs are much bigger than theirs, and my feet are much bigger than theirs, and so I would leave much bigger tracks than them. So I would tell them that it'll be much easier for them if they just walk in my tracks, if I just, if I just walk in the footsteps of the spirit and and saint paul is telling us if we keep in step with the spirit if we if we maintain this union with the spirit we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh and later he goes on to explain to us that why that's so important because the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh what does that mean the flesh lusts against the spirit that means that the flesh is desiring things that are not appropriate for it now which are detrimental to the spirit. Think of a marriage where um, a husband or a wife wants to buy something that is not the best thing for the family or for the marriage at this time. You know, husband going through his midlife crisis wants to buy a $40,000 motorcycle, right? When they can't, when they're struggling to pay school fees, right? Well, are you going to buy the motorcycle or are you going to buy, are you going to pay the school fees, right? So what he's saying here is the flesh is desiring things. Lust is to desire something outside of the will of God for me now. Desiring things against the spirit, not what, not according to the spirit, which will lead me to, will lead me to veer away from the spirit. And he's St. Paul is making it simple for us. He's telling us just walk with the spirit and then you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I read something else that was really beautiful uh, by uh, Father Matthew the Poor this week. He says, he says to us this, he says the Christian who loves God and loves his commandments meets the commandments of Christ and then is quickly dismayed, like is quickly discouraged. Why? Because he sees the commandments and he sees his inability to do them. Where the commandment, the purpose of the commandment was not to be something that you have to do. But the purpose of the commandment was to reveal to you that God himself is doing it in you. This is in a little book of his called Our Need for Christ. And he talks about how when we, when, when we, go, to, when, when, when we go to Christ or Christ comes to us, all of these things kind of just dissolve and dissipate and go away. And that's what it means for me. That's what it means for me to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When I walk in the spirit, when I'm in communion with the spirit of God that lives within me. Now we have to ask ourselves like, well, well why is this not my state of affairs? Like why, 
why is why do I look at this and feel like that's what I should be, maybe not what I am? If we go a little bit down, down to verse the, the next couple of verses, right? Right. Saint Paul tells us before that in verse eighteen. Sorry, he tells us a beautiful promise. He says, "If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law." In Second Corinthians three seventeen, you don't need to go to it. I'll tell you, it's a very short verse. He says, "Where there is the Spirit of the Lord, there is liberty." What's he talking about? Or in this verse, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I'll tell you what he's talking about. Look, suppose you're a, a law-abiding citizen, okay? You're a really good person. You always follow the rules and you always do things right, okay? Like my wife, right? So my wife will not jaywalk. I am an Egyptian Montrealer. I only jaywalk. You know, it's a game of chicken with the cars, you know, you're going to see, you know, who's going to, who, who, who's going to bow out first, right? I never cross at the, at the, at the streetlight. I should, I suppose, but I don't, right? Now, suppose you're walking with like a Supreme Court judge and you're, and you're Mary, my wife, who always crosses at the zebra crossings, as she calls them, right? At the crosswalks. And the Supreme Court judge tells you, hey, why don't we just cross here? It'll be faster. And you're like, but it's not, it's not okay. And he's like, hey, I'm telling you, we'll just cross here, right? And then a police person stops you and gives you a ticket, right? Are you like, are you afraid now that you got this ticket? Of course not. You're working, you're, you're walking with a Supreme Court judge, right? He's just going to take that ticket from your hand Monday morning. He's going to hand it off to some clerk and that's going to disappear, right? Why? Because the Supreme Court judge is the one who told you, cross over here. So you're no longer, when you're with the lawgiver, when you're with the lawmaker, then the law no longer applies to you. As long as you're obeying him, of course, you can't disobey him and disobey the law, then then you're screwed. Right. No, you have to you have to follow. You have to. Right. But if I'm following him, then the law no longer applies to me. So that's what he's saying here. If you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Where did the law come from? Well, it was inspired by the spirit. Right. Holy men of God who are inspired by the spirit wrote. That's what scripture tells us. That it's, in, it's, it's inspired by the Spirit. So it's, if the Spirit Himself who inspired the law is walking with you hand in hand, you don't need, no longer need to memorize the law. He'll tell you what to do and He'll tell you what not to do. You just be obedient to Him. You just stay in communion with Him. You just stay super tight with Him. You just don't let anything get in between you and in between Him. Now St. Paul tells us, how can I know whether I'm walking in the Spirit? He tells us, look, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, jealousies. Oh, I read that, sorry. Dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, period. So for St. Paul, it's very clear what the works of the flesh are, right? 
I want to tell you something. Where does all of this come from? It comes from a very simple four-letter word. That word is S-E-L-F, self. The self-life and the spirit life can never function together. There can only be one captain of the ship. It's either myself or Christ. It's either I am struggling in every moment, in every decision of mine, in every day, to hold on to the hand of the Spirit and to live in communion with Him and to be obedient to Him, or I will do what I want. It will never, ever work that I am living a life of doing what I want and I will be full of the Spirit. I've never met somebody like that, nor have I ever been capable of doing that. And the number one way I've lost my communion with the Spirit, I'm telling you personally, with sorrow, that I've lost that closeness with God's Spirit has always come after an act of the self. And it doesn't have to be adultery or sorcery or contentions or jealousy. It doesn't have to be some all of this stuff. It's simply... It's simply empowering myself. Now, to be very clear, I'm not talking about being like disempowered or being weak or being, or, or being a, a doormat or not at all. And we kind of talked about that um, last week, I think it was, when we talked about facing challenges at work. What I'm talking about is myself, my ego, my personhood, who I am. This week, somebody came to me very upset because somebody else, a close friend of his, was ignoring him in public. So at first, I took this person and gave him a big hug and I patted him on the shoulder and told him there, there, and so on. And then, and then I realized something. A little voice inside of me was telling this person, tell this person that this is an opportunity. This is, this, is, this is exactly like a very simple example between the self-life and the spiritual life. So I asked this person, why are you upset? And he said, well, this guy is my friend and he's, I've always been there for him. He's always been there for me. And then out of the blue, he just ignores me. And he's done this before with other people, but I just guess never thought he would do it with me and so on. So... I asked him, well, but why does that bother you, per se? This person couldn't answer. And I told him, I know why this bothers you. Because as a person, you want to be acknowledged. You want to be known. You want to be important. We draw a lot of our value that we have to ourselves of what other people think about us and what other people say about us. Or from our accomplishments, usually from those three things. And when this person who you thought thought the world of you suddenly doesn't even want to talk to you, it's like, a, it's like a cold shower. It's like an ice bath, right? But Abba Zosima, a Palestinian desert father from the antiquity, says to us that these people who don't treat us the way that we feel we ought to be treated are our benefactors. Like they're doing you a favor. And he says, how? He says, because they force you 
to choose between your honor, your dignity, yourself, or loving this person. Because usually when somebody does something like that to me, the first thing that goes through in my head, my head is, how dare this person, how this, how that, and the next thoughts are after that, or how I'm going to get back at him, right? So now I have the choice to go down that road or to go down the choice of loving him. And the choice of loving him entails in it being downtrodden by this person, allowing this person to walk all over my honor, my dignity, to crush myself. And if I start to see that myself is the thing that's standing in between me and this spirit-filled life, then all of a sudden, this person's disgracing me is an opportunity to crush the self and deepen my communion with God's Spirit. The other reason it's an, is it, that it's an opportunity is that by and large, in most people's life, these kind of things are quite rare. Most of your friends treat you well. Most of your colleagues are professional with you. Most, most people are, are good. So when someone treats you poorly, Abba Zosama is telling us, it's an opportunity that may not come back again. It's not something, it's not something that's going to happen commonly. So seize the day, seize the moment, and accept it with joy and thanksgiving. And say, thank you, Lord, that you gave me this person to crush myself, the self-life. So it may, be, it may be in my life and in yours, as obvious as these things, I certainly identify with some of these works of the flesh that, I, that I'm looking forward to the day that God will eradicate them from me. But it can also be much more insidious as simply self-regard, caring for myself and what, for people what, think, what people think about me. Let's go on to the next passage. In, in verse 22 to the end, he tells us what it's like to be full of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. You see, like, it's, it's a clear dichotomy for St. Paul. It's this or it's that. And God is calling you and He's calling me to be a spiritual people. To be people who live by the Spirit. And naturally, that's going to kind of look a little weird in this world. It's going to look a little weird when someone on a personal level is rude or mean or cruel to you. And you turn to God and you say, thank you, Lord. For sure, it's going to be kind of odd. There's no two ways about it, right? But that's because you, you have set your eyes on a higher goal. You've set, your, you, you, you've set your heart on something deeper. May God give you and God give me that to have our eyes set on a deeper goal. And then he tells us, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Right? Again, 
this dichotomy, this very clear dichotomy. My prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that we would spend this week praying and thanking God and asking Him, begging Him from all of our hearts, begging Him from all of our hearts to be full of the Spirit. And if you do that, I guarantee, I guarantee you one thing. God will give you an opportunity to have yourself crushed under your feet and the liberation of your spirit to be in communion with God's spirit that will follow. Glory be to God forever and ever. God bless you. Let's pray.